Hello. Yeah. Uh, my, my name is Knut Peterson. Trevor, I was wondering if you could comment on you speaking about Fox News. Uh, there's a, they're trying to get a Fox News network north established, and I think uh, Stephen Harper might have something to do with that. Uh, could you comment that's a rumor. on that? Do you think the, that's something that the Canadians would buy into? Uh, would Canadians buy into it? I would hope not. And, of course, one of the aspects about trying to bring it north is uh, there were pressures on the CRTC, which has been in the news a lot lately for all kinds of uh, arguments and debates with the, uh, the government. Um, pressures on CRTC to give it a particular licensing level. I'm not familiar with the terminology around, but partly it was actually to try to make Fox News uh, part of your kind of regular package, and uh, which therefore everybody could get it free of charge. And I, as I said, I, there's some things on Fox News that are aggravating, and uh, but actually quite amazing to watch. Um, but in some sense, the only way Fox News, as I understand it, has a real legitimate way of getting in here is uh, if it is part of that package. If it's a subscribe thing, then all of a sudden, let's face it, there's a lot of channels probably most of us would not subscribe to. And uh, that might be one of them. And therefore, their revenues would go down. So there's a financial aspect here to what extent it actually, uh, there's a market for it. I have no doubt there's some people who actually would actually watch it. It's just what are the, the finances of it. In the broader question of what would be its impact, I, yeah, I'm all for uh, free speech, but I think what we're actually seeing quite often is we don't actually have legitimate debate. And in fact, it's already occurring in Canada. This this is a wonderful forum for this because uh, what's happening, however, is increasingly it's kind of money shouting, and I think that's the danger of the kind of corporatized media elite taking over. And so you don't actually have – democracy, it seems to me, is actually a, a sharing of ideas and a coming together of a number of voices that may or may not agree, but they actually try to understand each other and they try to come to some kind of conclusion. That isn't what happens uh, in the Fox media world. What happens there, as I said before, is it's, a, it's, it's about entertainment, it's about polarization, it's about conflict. That's what sells. It's, you know – Rather than have people stand or, or sit around and talk in a reasoned debate, you know, Fox News and channels like that love to have cars crashing. <laughs> right? I mean, it grabs people's attention. It's the same kind of thing around uh, the debates they hold. So I think in the overall uh, aspect of uh, having democratic debate, there's some real problems with the way that kind of media unfolds. I'll, one last story I'll tell you here. I actually had a friend actually uh, come over from uh, – uh, she's Swiss-German. She came here in 2005, and uh, she was uh, stayed with my wife and myself for a few months. And uh, we were listening one day, driving in the car to uh, talk radio, and her response was, that's really weird. That, that would never – you could never market that in Europe. So there's kind of an interesting cultural thing that, you know, they just – you couldn't have talk radio there. But for some reason in North America, we seem to like that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. Very weird. Douglas Mitchell. Hi, Doug. Just wanted to um, thank you for providing this 
somewhat scary information for those of us who are left of right. And uh, I would like to, uh, you to elaborate uh, a little bit on elements of racism and bigotry. You kind of touched that, but you didn't mm -hmm. really address it. Could you say yeah. what you think? Thank you. Actually, uh, <clears throat> you know, scaring you, it reminds me, the, the last time I was here, actually, I think it was two years ago in the midst of the uh, uh, recession that was unfolding at that time, and... Um, after I'd given the talk about what was going on in financial markets, uh, uh, someone actually came again up to the uh, microphone and said uh, they had come to the talk uh, scared, but now they were leaving positively petrified. Um, it was actually one of my proudest moments ever giving a public speech, I have to say. You know, I was able to do that. Uh, so, I, you know, but I apologize if once again I've actually scared people, you know. Um, Racism, yeah, you know, the tradition in the United States, every, every country, in a sense, there are certain kind of fracture points that define what politics tends to be about, right? There's certain things that are kind of uh, shape the way politics emerge. So, for example, in Europe, the, the long history has actually been that class, people actually understand class in Europe. They don't seem to understand it all here in North America. They don't understand the, the issues of class. But class and religion, no surprise there, all the religious wars held in Europe, those are the two things that traditionally have always kind of framed politics. Canada, French-English French, relations, and regionalism, right? East-West, Central Canada, all those things. Those are the things that frame politics here. In the United States, it's tend to be Race number one, that's, that's the thing that if you think back to every American election that you can remember where at some point during it somebody had to talk about it. On either side, right? Both sides love to talk about race. Race is a part in terms of the response, it seems to me, of uh, the Tea Party members and a large number of the Republicans. Uh, you know, that when I said before about 51% of Republicans who uh, don't feel that Obama is uh, has the legitimate right to be president. That birther thing, it's hard to separate that birther thing, that argument, from the fact that he's black. Uh, so race is part of it. There's no way to escape that. You know, much of the dialogue that is going on. Now, there are people, certainly, and, and they have to be pointed out within both the Tea Party movement and the Republican movement, who, from everything we can know, are not racist. And that is not the issue for them, but it is an issue. Um, the unfortunate thing about race in the United States is it does blind people to uh, what, I, again, I think is a much more pressing in some sense. Race is always an issue, so is sexism and other things. But I do think class actually is the bigger issue in the United States. And unfortunately, the race issue has always... Uh, occluded discussions of class and income inequality and, and real life chance inequality in the United States, and it continues to do so. So the American public gets divided up and uh, talking about those issues where they really should be talking about the fact that a lot of Americans, including much of the middle class, is now getting left behind. Nobody seems to want to talk about that. Hi, Gene Olexen. Thank you for your presentation. Thank you. Excuse me.
you were talking about the demographic that supports that right-wing Tea Party fringe movement. Uh, I guess it isn't fringe. But uh, I'd like you to comment further on the other demographic in the U.S., which is like there's a large Hispanic, uh, Muslim, uh, Filipino demographic. How do they fit in on this scale? Where do they think? Where do they support? Yeah, very, very good question. And a a big question for the United States uh, in years to come. The fastest growing demographic in the United States is the Hispanic population. Uh, Arizona, California, Florida, these are all major states, uh, particularly California and Florida. It's hard to imagine becoming president if you can't uh, win election there. Uh, Both parties are well aware of this. In the uh, last uh, presidential election, uh, President Obama did very well uh, in terms of the Hispanic vote. uh, And other minority groups as well, but Hispanic vote is a particularly large one. Uh, it is a uh, uh, for the Republican Party. It is a a real uh, difficulty. Uh, they know that they have to be able to appeal to those groups. Again, also Texas is a good example. Uh, but there's also a really strong anti-immigrant, uh, anti-Hispanic uh, element within the Republican Party and the Tea Party movement. <laughs> and uh, so the Republicans are uh, are aware of that. Um, but I think that is. Uh, they, those groups are not terribly repre- well represented within either the Tea Party movement or the Republican Party, which is one of the reasons that whenever a, a Hispanic or a member of a minority group actually uh, has success, uh, the Republican Party will always point to them and say, well, look, this, this proves that obviously we're welcoming of Hispanics, but in fact, the actual number is really, really small. And it is, however, going to be a, uh, a bigger and growing issue in the United States in years to come because, as I said, that is a uh, large portion of the electorate. Thank you, Trevor, <clears throat> very much. My name is Frances Schultz. Um, I found that la- your presentation scary for various reasons, and I think that we need to look at what's happening there, but to learn from it. And my question is, do you think that there are parallels happening in Alberta, especially at the big fundraiser in Edmonton last night, Danielle Smith announced that she was pro-private health care? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a uh, this is actually a long-standing uh, issue. Uh, just to give a, a connect kind of some of the dots here. Um, there is an obvious attack on uh, Canadian health care. I think it is very possible that uh, if the Conservative Party federally wins a uh, majority, that they would very quickly move to not immediately get rid of uh, Medicare. That, that's too blunt. They can do it actually much easier by stealth, and I'll, I'll tell you how they'll do it in a second. Uh, but there is a long uh, history of this. Uh, the National F- Citizens Coalition, of which Stephen Harper was the uh, head for a period of time, was formed in 1968 by Colin Brown out of London, Ontario, an insurance uh, agent. He was annoyed with Medicare, and he formed the National Citizens Coalition with the sole purpose of getting rid of Medicare. Uh, the Fraser Institute has long uh, been in favor of getting rid of uh, Medicare, 
Daniel Smith is a former intern with the uh, Fraser Institute and would be the Fraser Institute's first elected official uh, or, or, can, uh, or graduate uh, should she become premier. Uh, the old Reform Party, one of its standing policies was to get rid of the Canada Health Act, and every party in that vein ever since then has uh, spoken of getting rid of uh, basically the underpinnings of Medicare. How would they actually go about doing this? Uh, well, what they would go about doing at the federal level is uh, stopping uh, funding uh, basically to uh, health care. Uh, the federal party has a long-standing uh, desire to decentralize things in Canada, to move back, if as it were, to the 1867 Constitution. This shares some similarity, you'll note, with the statist arguments with the Tea Party and the Republicans in the states. They would, instead of funding, they would give tax points to all the provinces. This means that the provinces with those tax points can then decide whether or not they want to raise taxes for various programs, including Medicare. Uh, you can well imagine uh, the response of any politician in Alberta or elsewhere saying, um, uh, we've decided now that because uh, uh, in order to defend health care, we're going to raise taxes. Raising taxes is not a vote-getter. I can tell you that right now. And so the uh, provinces would basically be able to opt out of funding Medicare. Uh, very quickly, you would have Medicare, uh, first of all, because it's decentralized, would look different right across the country. Welcome back to the 1920s. Uh, and it would also disappear very quickly, meaning that uh, private health care would move in. The final uh, step to this would be that once private health care corporations stepped in, you would never be able to remove them again. No elected government could ever get rid of them. The reason being that every trade agreement that has been signed over the last 20 years protects future corporations from ever having uh, loss of profits on the basis of uh, government actions. Those corporations subsequently would be able to sue every government in perpetuity for lost profits, and therefore you could never do it unless you were to break trade agreements. And I can tell you right now, again, most people would not want to do that because our uh, economies are so heavily interlocked and controlled by the corporations in the first place. So the end of Medicare is actually much sooner in front of you than uh, you actually realize. It could be within an election or two elections away. And unfortunately, I have to say, just as I think am quite disparaging of the Democrats and the Republicans in the United States, because I don't think there's an awful lot of difference between them, I also have to say there isn't very much difference between most of our political parties in Canada. I would not, uh, as much as I think conservatives will very quickly move to get rid of health care, public health care, uh, I wouldn't look to the Liberals to particularly defend it either. Uh, and frankly, I... I think even the NDP has moved a long ways from its original roots. So I, I don't see out there actually, uh, you know, we can do anything as a people, but we got to really think seriously about it and know what the issues are. It's a great question. Uh, Wes Payne, I'm a student at U of L. Thank you very Hi. much for your presentation. Thanks. Um, I'm hoping you can comment on an issue that the Tea Party's been. Uh, that has been surrounding the Tea Party, uh, and that's the attempted assassination of uh, Representative Giffords in January in Tucson. Um, there's been a lot of talk and bantering back and forth in the media that polarized uh, politics uh, had a role to play there. Um, I'm wondering if you can comment on that as a sociologist. Yeah, that's that's a really uh, – an interesting and really tough uh, question. Um, 
the uh, the Tea Party candidate actually in that uh, the Tea Party had a candidate in that state. Um, Kelly, I'm trying to remember his first name, uh, who um, was uh, pretty vitriolic and uh, and was a supporter of uh, the right to bear arms. For that matter, actually, Giffords, however, of course, notoriously also came out, oddly enough, in terms of uh, defense of uh, right to bear arms. Um, anyway, the uh, her opponent was one of uh, uh, the five uh, senatorial people who actually uh, lost uh, in uh, 2010. Um, the defense of the people on the Tea Party side and the Republicans to the accusations afterwards, and it clearly has really shocked a lot of people in, in the United States and elsewhere. Um, and again, to its credit, some of the Tea Party supporters uh, have actually uh, come out really quite um, you know, consoling to and hoping uh, that Giffords will do well. But the, the argument has been, well, we didn't actually pull the gun and we didn't actually say uh, that uh, you should um, really pick up arms. You know, that when we talk about taking up arms, we're talking about it metaphorically, right? So, so that's kind of the argument always is that how, unless you're directly involved, you have some kind of culpability. I think that the... Uh, in a wider kind of, and I, I mentioned before, kind of psychology and culture, though. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's worthwhile keeping in mind here that psychology actually aren't individual, right? I mean, you can look to countries and nations and regions and say there's a kind of prevailing psychology that everybody seems to share there. Part of the psychology in the United States is a longstanding uh, uh, favoring of, of guns. And I think that the... Uh, the talk shows, the television media, Fox News, uh, the intemperate statements by any number of politicians leading up to it created the kind of atmosphere in which people who are perhaps not very well to begin with feed off that. There's kind of it, it becomes a, a kind of atmosphere that, that people who are unstable feed off of. And so there is a kind of indirect culpability, I think, that, that is there. The, the anger, the uh, over-the-top hostility that was engendered in the weeks, months, and couple of years before the 2010 elections, uh, and then subsequently the uh, attempted uh, assassination of Giffords, there, there is something larger there than just the case of this was one lone individual who happened to be, you know, unstable. You know, so I, I think there is a responsibility there. On the other hand, I don't think that, quite frankly, the American political culture is going to learn from it. It'll happen again because it's happened before. It happened this time. It will happen again because there is a there's a, a there's an inability on in the part of political media and other leaderships there to really take responsibility. They just like to give uh, you know, lip service to it, but they really don't. So, sad, very sad. Thank you. My name is uh, Mike McDonald. <coughs> I thank you for me for a very discerning analysis of the Tea Party movement. It's funny, we rely on <coughs> Canadian to give us an analysis of an American political movement, but for me that was valuable. Thank you. I have a two-part question. The, um, um, it, we, you call it the Tea Party movement. In your analysis, 
is the philosophies and policies of the Tea Party coming from the bottom up or from, you know, these list of candidates. Uh, some of the candidates that I heard are not exactly what I'd call the brightest bulbs on the tree. So is it coming from those movements going up, or is it coming from an established philosophy from people like the Koch brothers and Rupert Murdoch and filtering down as they attract the fringe elements? Mm-hmm. The second part of the question is if, if – and I believe that's the case – but if that's the case – is the Fox News application in Canada an opportunity to try and introduce those, uh, that political philosophy and bring it into the Canadian scene through news media? Yeah. Two, uh, two very good questions. To the uh, last point first, I think the uh, – certainly that would be the effect of it is to try to uh, – I mean, in my lifetime, I've seen actually Canada become uh, much more Americanized than uh, it was years ago, certainly in the last 20, 25 years. Uh, so I think that would be the, uh, the effect, actually, is for the uh, Fox News would probably introduce many of those kind of policies. In terms of the uh, where do those policies come from, I guess you have to look at each policy individually. Um, you know, there's kind of a – within politics, if you're trying to win a campaign, uh, quite frankly, you don't care that everybody out there that votes for you absolutely agrees on everything if you sat them in a room. What you are just interested in is their vote. So they ha- you throw out something to this group, you know, a little bit of red meat to that group, as they say, and you know, get them to come along. Or you don't say anything, and you just let them think that you're really supportive of that. Um, some of the, the kind of moral conservative elements, the, the fundamentalist elements in the United States, certainly see within the Tea Party movement and the Republican Party a party that is supportive of their views. And, you know, so the Republican Party will occasionally throw out, uh, you know, things around, um, uh, you know, religious uh, protections or uh, um, abortion rights, things like that. On the other hand, uh, and so some of those are coming kind of from the bottom up uh, with – within particular groups. And again, there's some who are grassroots supporters of the Tea Party movement, probably don't care about a lot of those things at all. On the other hand, the things that the from top down that the corporate heads really are interested in is keeping everything private, keeping corporate taxes low, keeping the military-industrial complex going because there's a ton of money there along with healthcare. Um, so those things are things that the uh, from top down are really uh, important. And so there's a kind of a meeting someplace in the middle. So it depends which, which policy you're particularly looking at. Uh, and that's why I described the, the Tea Party as actually in some sense kind of an amalgam. It's, when we think of it as being a grassroots movement, yes, there are elements of that. When we think of it as being a corporate movement promoted by Fox News and the Koch brothers and others, yes, there's an element of that. When we think of it as having libertarian or Christian fundamentalist values, yeah, there's elements of both those things. So ultimately, movements quite often aren't discernible by a single kind of uh, element or, or uh, trajectory. It's an amalgam of different things that are going on there, and that's, that's very much what's going on in Tea Party. On the other hand, the, the people who end up actually uh, leading the party or deciding policies down the road – which ones are they going to particularly favor? And I think the policies that they're really interested in at the top really is are those kind of corporate issues, you know, the, the taxation issues, those kinds of things. So, 
I recognize you. Hi, Mark. <laughs> Hi, Trevor. Uh, Mark Sandyland is my name. Uh, I have enormous respect for you, and I really enjoyed your presentation today. It, it was uh, filled with uh, information. Uh, I do have to, uh, however, correct you on a couple of points. Uh, the, uh, Always open to it. <laughs> I think people will know what one of them was, uh, or will be, but uh, the other one regards uh, the so-called uh, Fox News North, which is, uh, I think, as I understand it, pretty much independent uh, from uh, Fox News in the United States, although uh, uh, Prime Minister Harper did meet with Rupert Murdoch uh, in, in some kind of uh, gathering in New York City, it's, it's alleged. But uh, Fox News North, it's a nickname. It's a, 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 an all-news channel uh, sponsored by Pierre Pelado of Quebec Corps, yep. which is a very right-wing uh, organization. And, and my recollection, which may be not correct, but I think they, they did uh, – uh, were turned down by CRTC for getting in the basic package, but they are coming on air fairly soon as an add-on. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, there's only uh, uh, tenuous links between them and, and the real Fox News. Uh, the other one regards the NDP support of uh, Medicare. I think uh, with uh, MPs like uh, Libby Davies and uh, Linda Duncan, um, perhaps even me, uh, if uh, things turn out <laughs> properly, uh, we'll fight until our last breath to keep Medicare in Canada. And I think Jack Layton is uh, with that, too. Uh, I do have a question. Uh, sorry for the long... Uh, thank you. <laughs> sorry for the long introduction. Um, recently, I read a book by Barry Lynn called uh, Cornered. It didn't get a lot of publicity, but it talks about the corporate uh, takeover of uh, the United States and uh, the mergers particularly, there used to be some 20, 25 uh, department stores in the United States. Now there's three or four. Uh, there used to be uh, a number of in, uh, separate uh, ways to get, uh, just as an example, eyeglasses. Um, so, but now there's an Italian company that whether you go to Pearl Vision or, or LensCrafters or Sears Optical, you're all dealing with the same company. Uh, this has been mm -hmm. done mostly undercover. Um, and it's part of the contribution to the large influence of the corporations in the United States. When the gap between the rich and the poor that, that results from this comes up in the talk radio that you listen to or Glenn Beck or whatever, mm -hmm. what happens? Do, do, do people just move on? Or, or I'm curious to know what the reaction is. You said it's, it's gone under the radar. Why? Mm. Due to time, this will be the last uh, question. Thank you, Mark, for the uh, the corrections and and uh, read the uh, NDP. I, I salute you and hope and and believe you will can continue the good fight. Um, the uh, in in terms of that kind of corporate consolidation, that's not a new thing. It's right across. We we have the illusion of competition everywhere. The reality is that capitalism. To tell you if you've ever been, you know, thought differently, the long-term trajectory is always towards monopoly. It always is, and and so today in the world, if you imagine that there's a whole bunch of accountancy firms, there's like five. They all go under different names, but there's five big accountancy firms basically. Agribusiness, what again? Five, six? You know, you might think there's a whole bunch out there. They're not. Uh, same with car companies, right, going back to the early part of the 20th century when we had lots of cars everywhere, people manufacturing cars here in Lethbridge under some small little operation. Very few car companies around the world, and it'll get smaller again. Um, so 
Uh, what does this mean? Well, it means basically that a lot of money is always going to the top, less money to the bottom. Uh, when you talk to people in the States about what's going on, a lot of people know it in their own sense. They know that their own circumstances are getting worse. What they don't have is the information or the knowledge of why it's happening to them. Uh, they don't understand in the bigger picture how this is, is tied up. Does the media help with this? Uh, for the most part, the media doesn't talk about it at all. There are a few people who will talk about it. it. It has actually become more of an issue, and, and I'm happy to say that the American Sociological Association is actually doing more work than it had done in a few years looking at income gaps. But it doesn't come up very often. When it does come up, it's very easy for people to then uh, subsequently uh, ignore it. And, of course, the people who run the talk shows uh, have the uh, great power of pushing a button and saying, well, I've heard enough of you. Now I'm going to tell you what to believe. And so their argument is always, well, it's, you know, uh, it's uh, perhaps some other group outside. You know, it's foreigners or whatever doing it. Or it's illegal immigrants coming in. Or it's the unions. And that, of course, as you know, is a big fight going on in the United States right now. Um, what people don't understand, uh, you know, frankly, in the middle class is it's unions actually made them what they are today. Uh, that uh, union rates... Uh, and most people belonging to unions do get better paid than non-unions. But those union rates raise the rates for people who are non-union. And those rates also, by the way, raise the level for people who happen to be on uh, public assistance. You take down union rates, you take down non-union rates, you take down public assistance rates. All the way down, it ratchets right to the bottom. The middle class was built on unions. And the attacks on unions in the United States, which are sub subscribed to, however, by many of the Tea Partiers and the Republicans, are uh, going to gut the middle class. And uh, one of the great – it's no longer a mystery to it. I'm not surprised by it any longer. What I see going on across North America is the middle class uh, uh, committing suicide. <laughs> I, the middle class is regularly just going about – doing things that are going to slash its own throat through the people they elect, the policies they support, they are committing suicide. Um, and the only thing I can really, my explanation for this is, um, sadly enough, uh, me being a part of it, uh, there was a lot of baby boomers who grew up thinking that they were solely responsible for their fortunes and never had, uh, you know, that they were not the beneficiaries of being born in the right time, in the right place and having benefited from unions and other groups that actually fought to get decent standards of living for people. When you start to believe that you're solely the only person who's responsible for your life and you made it here on you know, your own good graces, uh, then you're in trouble. <laughs> and, but that's what the middle class is doing it to itself in the United States, and I fear it's going to do it here in Canada as well. Powerful things for us to think about and disturbing, eh? Uh, so uh, uh, keep talking about it and keep uh, 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 sharing your your thoughts and doing what you can to, to, to make things better here in Canada. Thank you very much, Trevor, for that. Uh,
I have I have an announcement too that uh, Frank Totha uh, Totha asked me to do. Uh, he's speaking at City Council meeting on Monday, March seventh, which is this coming Monday at one thirty, about recognition of the miners' human rights and social discrimination. And so he invites you all to go there. So once again, thanks to Trevor for a great talk.